Well, today we begin a new series in Romans 8. That's the title of the series, Romans 8. That's very creative. Um, We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8. And so if you have your Bibles, turn there. Uh, Last night, uh, there were many people walking around concocting nightmares. They were doing their best to scare other people and jumping out of shadows and uh, having haunted houses. And, uh, you know, there are actually places where people go to pay money to be scared. Let's, let's just think about that for a second. I'm going to pay somebody money to scare me. I just, I don't get it. I'm sure I did it, but I don't get it. Anyway, uh, but these are all make-believe mythic type things where let's go and let's be scared. Ooh. But the truth is we all deal with fears, real live fears, and they, they, they are certainly more sinister in our own experiences than uh, make-believe concocted uh, boogeymen that uh, wear rubber masks and fake uh, blood. It, it is uh, sinister fears that overwhelm us and make us do crazy things, lead us down um, crazy paths. It's the fears that really overwhelm us. And uh, as I was doing research for this message today, I realized that there are about 13% of our population in America that deal with fears so much that it paralyzes them. Uh, these are fears or phobias that, that keep people from relating or interacting with other people, keep them hidden indoors. Uh, these are real fears and real phobias that re- need real help. I mean, uh, there needs to be someone who walks that journey with you if, if you're one of those 13%. Uh, the rest of the 87% in the room today, uh, we deal with fears, but, but not in the panic attack stricken kind of way. We, we're afraid of spiders and snakes, and that's a reasonable fear. We're afraid of, of, uh, uh, of heights. Uh, we're afraid of depths. We're afraid of steps. Uh, we're afraid of uh, lightning. We're afraid of flying. We're afraid of um, going bald. We're afraid of uh, 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 boyfriends knocking at the door, you know, those, those, the, just normal fears. But those are the type of fears that, that really can dominate our everyday life. And, and it's not that we are paralyzed sitting in the cocoon of our own home. Uh, we've learned how to mask our fears and manage our life in such a way that we really do go through everyday experiences, but we're just managing fears. We're just managing those anxieties that we have in our heart. And the reality is, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God wants you to experience more than just the management of fears. He wants you to experience victory over your fears. And that's really what Romans 8 is all about. If you remember, Romans 8 begins with what we're going to look at today. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's a powerful statement, no condemnation. Freedom from the fear of our failures in yesterday and even today. There is now no condemnation. But, but this letter goes on, this chapter goes on and says, not only is there no fear of, of our failures, but, uh, but there is also uh, no fear of any other thing, that, that, that we are more than conquerors through Christ who has loved us, that there is absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of God. 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. So where this letter begins uh, with there is therefore now no condemnation, it ends with there is therefore now no separation from the love of God for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is a wonderful letter that helps us navigate through the, 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 the fear of being stuck in a prison cell of our own making. It's, it's the, 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 the freedom from the fear of, of working and working and working, our flesh working and working and working and still not measuring up. It's freedom from the fear of even death itself. This, this letter teaches us that, that, this, that, that we have a brand new start, that literally Jesus Christ kills our condemnation, and sets us free from fear. And that really is what Romans 8, 1 through 4 is. It's telling us that that Jesus has killed every aspect of condemnation that would try to stick to our soul so that we can be free from fear and free to live. Now, if you have your Bibles, look at Romans chapter 8. Look beginning in verse 1. And we're going to read all the way through verse 4. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who are walking not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak in the flesh... God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who are walking not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, as we break these four verses down, the big theme for us is the very first verse. There is therefore now, 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 no condemnation. Huge statement. Condemnation is a word that I think we can understand. I think we can pick it up. We understand what condemnation is. It's, it's feeling and knowing the weight of our guilt that we have committed a crime and that we are guilty of it. That's condemnation. Condem- condemnation is the reality that we experience when we do something wrong and we know it. That's condemnation. When we fail to meet an expectation or a standard, and we know that we fail to meet that expectation or standard, we feel, we experience, we know condemnation. So when Paul says there is therefore now no, zero, zilch, condemnation, that's a revolutionary statement for us to hear today. It's a revolutionary statement for the Apostle Paul himself to make. You see, in Romans chapter 7, Paul described his own struggles with condemnation. In Romans chapter 7, he goes uh, and he describes how how he uh, felt like a failure. By the way, that's condemnation. He felt like a failure. The things that he knew he should do, he didn't do. The things that he knew he shouldn't do, that's what he did. He said, I am a poor, miserable wretch. And then he says, who will deliver me from this body that gives me death? See, Paul was gripped in this bondage of the flesh that leads to death. 
But in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, the tune changes. Paul describes his journey and our journey. And then he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus kills condemnation. Jesus kills condemnation for us today. Jesus gives us a new right now moment. Today is a new right now moment. See, most of us live in the yesterday moments, in the past moments, in the struggle moments, in the difficult moments. Most of us live in the realm of the the way I used to be or the way I I, I was and, and the way we were. We live in those moments where our failures uh, are prominent, pronounced. The exclamation point is on our And we see ourselves through the lens of what we did, even what we're doing that is in direct contradiction to what the standard is that we're supposed to be living by. And we live in that yesterday moment. Our right now is defined by how well we're doing at being good people or moral people or keeping a set of standards or following the rule book. But when Paul writes, he's saying, now that's the way he used to live, but that's not the way he lives anymore because now is a new right now. Now is a new right now because Jesus has brought it to us. This new right now is that Jesus has taken all the shame and the pain and the guilt and all the condemnation that my failures, past, present, and future, have incurred. And he's took them all upon himself, and he's died on a cross with my condemnation upon himself. He killed condemnation by killing himself on a cross for my sin. This is our new right now. If I am in Christ Jesus, I am no longer defined by the way I used to be. I'm no longer defined even by the failures that I commit today or will commit tomorrow. I am defined by who I am in Christ Jesus. I have a new right now. And I no longer have to live in the fear of my failures, but now I live in the freedom that Jesus provides. I want you to look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. And Paul is saying simply there that we have freedom, not fear. As a follower of Jesus, and by the way, All of this applies only to a person who is in Christ Jesus. If you're not in Christ Jesus, I'm sorry, but you are stuck under the depressing weight of your condemnation. If you're not in Christ Jesus, you don't have a new right now. If you're not in Christ Jesus, you are stuck in the muck and the mire of your flesh, in the bondage of you trying to work it out yourself, but that's eventually going to lead to your death. If If you're not in Christ Jesus... The ghouls and the goblins of your failures, they're going to haunt you until you die. And they're going to disease your soul. And you're not going to have hope. But if you are in Christ Jesus, he chases away the, uh, the ghouls and the goblins of our failures and replaces them with a new way of living for the law of the spirit of life. 
has set me free or made me free from the law of sin and death. Let's break this down a little bit. What is law here? Law is a regulating principle. Law is the way you order your life. Law is the rule that you follow. Law is the, uh, the way you determine what you're going to do tomorrow. Law is a to-do list. Law is a honey-do list. Law, law is a honey-do list. Law, law is the way you order your life today and every day. And what Paul says is there are two laws. There's the law of sin and death And then there's the law of the spirit of life. The law of the spirit of life is different than the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death, if I could help you understand it just this way, the law of sin and death is where I try to navigate my life on my own without help from anybody, including God. Where I try to be a good enough person to make up for the bad stuff that I've already done. It's where I try to, 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 to look at my failures and, and ease my guilt over my failures by doing something better. You know, that really is what happens, isn't it? I mean, in your life and in mine, haven't you tried to make amends? Nothing wrong with making amends unless you think that you making amends is somehow going to make up for the bad stuff you've already done in the sight of God. The law of sin and death is looking at the rules, even the good rules that God has given, and understanding those rules, but incapable of keeping those rules. See, here is the problem with God's law. I mean, the Ten Commandments law, the, the law that we find in the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, the, 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 the law of God found in the law and the prophets of the Old Testament and in Jesus' life in the New Testament. The problem with the law is simply this. We won't measure up. We know what the law is. We just know we'll never make it. You see, Paul just described the law this way. He said the law um, was really good in that it taught me what was right and what was wrong. But the law was bad because it is incapable of empowering me to do what is good over what is bad. See, our problem is perhaps that we know right from wrong. That's good. But our problem is that we often do wrong instead of right, and that's bad. The law of the spirit of life frees me from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death says that there's nothing you can do to change the course of your life. You're stuck. You failed to measure up, and you will continue to fail to measure up, and you are just going to die a poor, miserable wretch. That's the law of sin and death. But the law of the spirit of life is different. You see, the law of the spirit of life, that's where when we enter into fellowship with Jesus Christ, everything changes for us. Everything changes. Jesus pours his spirit within us. And that is the Holy Spirit of God that breathes life into us. Not only does he breathe life into us, he directs us toward the life that we need to live. Not only does he direct us toward the life that we need to live, the spirit of God empowers us to live that life. 
so that we're no longer just trying to measure up by keeping a bunch of rules that are written on a piece of paper. Now we are walking hand in hand with the king of the universe by the spirit of God pulsing through our soul, equipping us and enabling us, empowering us to live pleasing to holy God. Everything changes. The law of the spirit of life sets me free to live. Not, not to measure my good versus my bad, but just to live, to live in concert with God himself, to live in intimate fellowship with holy God in such a way that he looks upon me and he says, mm, mm, I like that Eric Thomas. Oh, you know, that's, that's what God says about you. That's, he, he looks at you, he says, mm. Mm. Well, I like you. More than that, he invades your right now with his rescuing, empowering love. The Spirit of God resides within you so that you can live. I mean, live, fully live. Live in a way that you've never lived before. And let me just say this today, if you say that you're a follower of Jesus, but you still have yet to live, if you don't taste the fullness of life, if you've never tasted the fullness of life, if you say that you're a follower of Jesus, but all you have are a bunch of rules on a piece of paper on how to live a moral life, if that's all you've got, you don't sense the leadership of the Spirit of God in your everyday existence, make no mistake, chances are you are not a follower of Jesus. You're just a good moral religious person. You need to know the difference. We're going to see next week. The apostle Paul says that those who are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. It's not that you walk the Nile. It's not that even that you got dunked in a tub. It's not that you follow a set of rules. It's that the spirit of God resides within you and directs your steps. And this is where life comes from. We have freedom, freedom, freedom to live. We no longer have to live in fear of our failures. See, the reason we don't have to live in fear of our failures is because Jesus has made us right with God forever. You got to get this. This is huge. Jesus makes us right with God forever. And that's not dependent upon what I do. It's not dependent on how well I do what I do. It's only dependent upon what Jesus has done for me. Now look at verse 3. He says, for what, the, uh, for what the law could not do and that it was weak in the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who are walking not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. All right, let me break this down just for a second. So here's the standard. God has a standard by which we need to live. Do you realize this? God has a standard, and that standard is perfection. That is the standard. To have relationship with God, there has to be perfection on our part. And God does not lower his standard perfection. Now, obviously, I hope you recognize the problem. The reason we struggle with condemnation is because God's standard is perfection, but boy, look where I hit. See, I'm far below perfection. 
I, I, I mean, it, when I, as a four or five-year-old boy, knew right from wrong and chose wrong, immediately I dropped below the standard and I can never, ever make the standard that God has. I am forever stuck in not measuring up. Do you get it? I mean, even when I was a little kid, I knew right from wrong. God expects perfection, but I chose wrong. So I am forever stuck in this cycle of not measuring up. I'm stuck in the failure of my life. And as I get older, it gets even worse and worse and worse. So I'm not measuring up. I'm falling far short. And the reason we are in bondage to the flesh that leads to death is because we are deeply desiring to get rid of the condemnation that overwhelms us. And so we deeply desire to measure up. And we keep trying and trying and trying to measure up. And trying and trying and trying to meet the standard. Paul said, but what the law could not do in that it was weak in the flesh. See, that's us trying to measure up. That's us trying to meet the standard. That's us trying to make it, but never quite getting there. Can I just say this? And I mean, I have good days, right? Y'all have good days. I'm talking about uh, God expects perfection and, 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 and you, you have a good day. Oh, I, I love those good days, don't you? God, God's holiness is here. His righteousness is here. Man, I'm having a good day. And then I come home. <laughs> Not getting home, the commute home. If I didn't have the commute, I'd still have a good day because it's like heaven in my house. I make it on that commute home. I mean, here and some, some, some imbecile is cutting in lines and, you know, honking the horn and, oh wait, that's me. And it, it that, something happens on the commute and all of a sudden where I was, man, I was having a good day. It's gone. You ever been there? But here's, here's even worse. Even if I had a string of really, 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 really good days, Man, I'm, I'm, I'm getting up here. It wouldn't matter because I've already had a string of bad days. I can string 150,000 good days together and I still won't measure up. Why? Well, because God doesn't score on a bell curve. He scores by how well we literally measure up. And so what we do is, is uh, we, we just get stuck in this cycle of condemnation. I'm not, I, I can't measure up. I'm not going to measure up. And so, whoa, miserable wretch that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Or another approach is some people try to lower God's standard. So instead of, instead of you living in the condemnation and not measuring up, what you do is you just lower God's standard. You say, well, God doesn't really mean what he says in the Bible. You know, that, that, I know he says it, and I know, you know, for, you know, 2,000 years, everybody's believed it. But, but, you know, things have changed, and the culture's different, and I don't want to live like that. So I'm just going to say that God doesn't mean what he said he meant. And we try to lower God's standard. 
But neither one of those work because that's still being stuck in bondage to the flesh that leads to death. We're still living in the fear of condemnation. What, what the law could not do because it is weak in the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who are walking not according to flesh but according to the spirit. Here's the good news. We don't have to measure up. I know that's going to freak some of you out. But you don't have to measure up. In fact, I would just say, stop trying. I don't mean start living a life that's contrary to what God wants. I'm just saying, start celebrating what God has already done for you in Christ Jesus. You see, if you're in Jesus Christ, you won't measure up, but Jesus measured up for you. He's the one who met the standard of God's righteous requirement. And when he was nailed to a cross, he took your condemnation upon himself. And when he was raised from the dead and you by faith trusted him, he placed his righteousness on you so that now forever you are made right in the sight of God. Here's the good news and here's why we're set free from condemnation. It's because our commendation toward God does not depend upon how well we measure up, but our commendation before God depends on how well Jesus measured up for us. And we are in him and his spirit is in us. And so now we live in the freedom of a life where we do not fear condemnation because our commendation before God is found in Jesus Christ. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. See, uh, when I was growing up, uh, there were um, uh, movie characters uh, that were, that, uh, you know, horror movie characters, bad guys, that just would never die. <laughs> Freddy Krueger, Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, 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 Jason Voorhees. Michael Myers. These cats just won't die. Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, I think they even went to space one day and fought it out, and they're still not dead. These these horror, uh, nightmarish creatures that haunt dreams and real life in the movies are like the failures that we hold on to, the condemnation that we cling to as followers of Jesus. See, as followers of Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation, but we don't live in that new reality that Jesus has given us. What we do is we go back and we listen to the voices of our past. We listen to the voices of our failures. And we start resurrecting those ghouls and goblins again. Jesus kills our condemnation forever. So stop resurrecting the condemnation that's already been killed. Um, and can I just help us here? We're going to talk about this next week, but one of the reasons why we as followers of Jesus resurrect condemnation in our life, one reason is because we just in pride refuse to repent. What I mean by that is condemnation 
is the fruit of unconfessed sin. It's, it's where the Spirit of God who gives us life and gives us freedom, the Spirit of God convicts us of our sin. See, there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction is where the Spirit of God does His right and good, life-giving, life-shaping work, and He says, Eric, you just blew it. You sinned. Now, it's in that moment that I have a chance to be free from condemnation. It's called repentance. You see, when the Spirit of God convicts me of my sin, if I repent that sin, confess that sin openly, honestly before holy God and against whom I have sinned, and, 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 I, and, and I, I confess it and I repent of it and bear the fruit of repentance, then, then what God does, he says, okay, now there is no condemnation. But if I don't confess, after being convicted by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God awakens me to my sin and I refuse to confess it. I refuse to come to Jesus who is my advocate, who, who desires to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I refuse to do all that. I just want to hold on to my sin. Then I start living under condemnation. Is it condemnation, the weight of feeling bad because I've done wrong, you know, sometimes that's just what happens because you refuse to repent the wrong that you're doing. Does that make sense? So some of you are living under condemnation because you've refused to repent when you've been convicted. And the good news is repentance is right now available. Boom. I mean, it can happen. Condemnation can be erased again when you repent. I mean, and, and, and that's the good news. Repentance is, is powerful and it is life affirming and life shaping and life changing. And the spirit of God wants to lead you to that repentance. So sometimes we fail to live in the freedom and rather live in the fear because we refuse to repent. For others of us, though, it's, it's, it's not that simple. For others of us, it's that we are walking in the flesh and not in the Spirit. And what I mean by that is, see, the Spirit gives us life. And He will certainly convict us of our sin, and He will certainly call us out when we fail to walk the path that God wants us to walk. That's the Spirit's job, and He does that, and He does that well. But sometimes what happens is we decide we're just going to listen to the, to the voice of the flesh that says, you know, I'm still unworthy. I, I still deserve to be punished. I, 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 don't, I don't deserve all that. I'm, I'm just a miserable soul. I, we start condemning ourselves because we're listening to the wrong voice. We're, we're stuck in the mire and the muck of our flesh. And we're listening to the ghoulish voices of, of our failures determining who we are. But when we walk in the Spirit, the Spirit of God doesn't speak those voices to us. The Spirit of God speaks life-affirming. No, you're no longer under condemnation, for Jesus has killed the condemnation and set you free from fear. So for some of us today, it's repentance that needs to happen. For others of us today, it's we need, to, we need to ask the Spirit of God to speak louder than the flesh, the voices, those ghoulish voices of our failures. 
So today, you can live in victory in Christ Jesus. Uh, but what do you do with all this? And, and every week, I'm going to have a what now slide. What, what do you do with this? What, uh, what, what do we need to do with Romans 8, 1 through 4? Well, the first thing we need to do is celebrate. We love God, and we're going to celebrate that he has given us Jesus Christ and his spirit to reside within us. We're going to celebrate that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're going to celebrate that we have a new right now. We're going to celebrate that we have freedom, not fear. We're going to celebrate that God has given us a brand new life and Jesus has killed our condemnation and we've been set free from fear. We're going to celebrate who God is and what he's done. By the way, that's what worship is. Worship is where we celebrate what God is doing and what God has done and who we are in him and how he has made us and forged us on the anvil of his salvation. We're going to celebrate God. And it bugs me just a tad, and this is going to be free, it bugs me just a tad when we get in here and you say, I can't worship because of the music, and I can't worship because of the stage, and I can't worship because the preacher's not wearing a tie, and I can't worship because uh, this, and I can't worship because of that, and I can't worship... No, the reason you can't worship is because you're not celebrating what God is and has been doing in your life. And if you can't worship because there are not enough flags on the stage or there are too many flags on the stage or you don't like these letters or you wish the letters were green or you don't like the time wearing or not wearing, if that's why you can't worship, then I might recommend that you get on your face before holy God and ask him by his spirit to awaken you once again to the glorious good news that you have been set free by Jesus Christ and you just need to worship him and adore him. That's why we're here. And we get all messed up when we think that the reason we're here is to make ourselves feel better or for you, me, or somebody to take care of us. No, we are here to adore the God who has taken care of us for all eternity. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we got to celebrate. That was good. All right. So when we love God, we celebrate. The second thing that I encourage you to do is to love yourself and love others and stop. You say, stop, stop what? Stop with the condemnation. Look, you've been set free. Stop condemning yourself. Stop listening to those ghoulish voices that say that you are worthless. Stop living in the depression of that deceitful, lying, satanic ghost of your failure. And start listening to the voice of the Spirit of God who says that you're a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away, all things have become new, and all these things are from God today. Stop it. Stop with the condemnation of yourself. But also, stop with the condemnation of others. Here's what I got to say about that. I'm all about accountability. 
You know, I'm all about holding each other accountable. We have accountability in our home. I'm all about accountability and holding each other accountable. And if, 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 if I'm going off the rails and, and, and uh, Edie or the girls, they see me going off the rails and contrary to the will of God, they're going to speak truth into my life. They're going to hold me accountable. That's not condemnation. Condemnation is where we judge others based upon our own personal preferences and we condemn them because they're not measuring up to the standards that we're holding. And usually, when we're busy condemning others, it's more a reflection of the sorry state of our own soul than it is the life that they're living. What I've discovered is most people condemn other people because they feel so condemned themselves. The old adage, hurting people hurt people, well, I think that's true. But, but what really happens is I feel so miserable about my own life because I'm living in the lie of condemnation as a child of God. I'm, I feel so miserable about my own life that I need to push other people down, make them feel bad so that I can feel a little bit better about how bad I feel about me. Parents, you need to stop condemning your children. They are in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation. I'm not saying don't hold them accountable. I'm just saying don't condemn them. We are a people loved by God, set free to serve him. So we need to stop the condemnation. And by the way, your rule book is not the same thing as God's will. That's just your rule book. Now, if you want to have a test of rule books, you come to me. We'll test them, and we'll talk about them. But don't condemn others because somebody's wearing a baseball cap in the church and you don't like it. You see what I'm saying? What do you, what do you want to do? Stop condemning others. And the third thing, the third thing is live the mission. Share the good news. See, we've got good news to share, don't we? Jesus has changed our life. There are people who are literally struggling in darkness and they don't have any hope. See, they haven't been set free from condemnation because they're guilty. They don't have Jesus measuring up for them. They're just not measuring up. They need hope. They need life. And you are in their path to give it to them. Share Jesus. Have you shared Jesus with somebody? You gave out candy last night. Why don't you give out Christ today? We need to share with others. Today, my hope and prayer for each of us is that we would live in the freedom that the spirit of life has poured into us, that we would live set free lives, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray together. As you bow your heads right now, <clears throat> these next few moments, just going to be time for you to reflect and and worship and adore Jesus. Um, uh, there are going to be ministers up here at the front. And we're here to pray with you, to help you, to answer questions that you might have. And we'll be here if you need to talk to one of us. We're here. And some of you, you just need to come to this, this altar. You need to come here to the front. You need to pray. You need to just ask God to do a work in your heart, to, to awaken you, to change you, to shape your heart, your life, to, to, to set you free again, to help you listen to the voices of, uh, voice of the Spirit rather than the ghoulish voices of condemnation. You just need to come and pray. Others of you, you just need to sit right where you are, and you need to worship.
You need to talk to God. You need to, uh, you need to repent. You need to get right. You need to start living. Others of you, you're, you're just going to be compelled to stand and worship. Sing song of praise as, as God makes you brave to live your life courageously in a world that's filled with fear. And some of you are here today and you have never yet embraced Jesus as Savior and King. And you need to do that. You come talk to me, one of the ministers. Now, Father, whatever you want to do in this place at this time, this is yours. We just want to worship you and respond obediently to you. And it's in the matchless name of Jesus we pray.